Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. Hello to you. So how are you on this historic day? I'm fine. We just had another milestone in our Northern Valley Greenway project. And I can't wait to hear uh, all about it. What was the milestone? Well, let me give you a little background. We spent the last year up until August working on a study with the New Jersey Department of Transportation and they analyzed our Rails to Trails project going from Tenafly through six towns up to the New York State border by Northvale. And mm-hmm. they determined it was a very feasible project. And they came up with potential, very preliminary designs, but to show that it was very, very feasible to do it. And they said there was nothing stopping us from doing the Greenway. And that took about a year. They came up with a 250-page report and Mm -hmm. a uh, 50-page summary, and that was a lot of work. We got input from over 300 people to get that project, that that report to that spot. The next task was to spread the results of this report, the kinds of um, bikeway and pedestrian way and jogging way that we envisioned, and what we were helping to build out of this project. And we've been doing a lot of outreach. And another part of this project was to get it, was to integrate it into the Bergen County Parks Master Plan. This is a document that the county uses to plan out its natural centers and parks and greenways 
for about the next five to ten years and all the wow. considerations they want to take into account. And we had been mentioned in it as an aspirational project. This plan started three years ago. And the Northern Valley Greenway made such pro- progress that they said we were no longer aspirational, which was very nice, but they forgot to move us to a non-aspirational, Ooh. actually likely to be occurring. I wouldn't say forgot to do it, but they hadn't considered moving us into their more um, actuated area. Mm-hmm. So we had about 50 people turn out at their review of the plan and say, please put this back in. And it worked. When people right. input into government, they listen. So they included us in their master plan. And that that plan, which was another I don't even know how long it was. Very long plan, very significant. I'll go over some of the details of it. Um, okay. But basically, they proposed an ordinance. This is the county now, Bergen County, proposed an ordinance, and they had their second reading where they passed an ordinance accepting this plan. So they now have a framework to develop their parks for the next five to ten years. Very wow, nice. that's a major accomplishment. Yes, that, that is awesome. Well, it was one of the boxes we had to check along the way to show that we have more support than just the people that live in this area and that the county and government levels support us. We have the municipalities. They were on board very early in the process. They formed the Northern Valley Greenway Committee. And this now brings in the next level, the Bergen County as supporting us, and we'll work our way up to the state um, where we integrate with the state plan to connect bikeways throughout the state. So it was a a milestone. That is a great uh, milestone to have attained. Um, And it took this long to attain it. Uh, What lies ahead? Um, More background work. A lot of investigation on how railways are sold and what goes into the considerations to buy a railroad or to rail bank it. Rail banking is where you don't actually buy the property or you buy the property, but you have the agreement that at some point in the future, if society needs to run a railroad through there again, the railroad can buy back the property for a pre-agreed price. So really all you're doing is you're getting a park instead of a decrepit railroad for some number of decades. It could be one, it could be two, it could be 50. <laughs> that is well worth it. Uh, um, I've seen such uh, uh, greenways and I've seen the conceptualizations or envisionings for the Northern Valley Greenway, and it is absolutely uh, beautiful. Uh, and uh, what we have now is an eyesore and kind of dangerous uh, so replacing it with uh, the Greenway would be phenomenal. I love to walk, so I can see myself walking there a, a great deal. Well, this fit very nicely into the Bergen County plan. And I have to say, it was amazing the amount of work they put into taking all these parks that had grown up over the last 100 or 200 years and were just a hodgepodge and 
envisioning them as a cohesive whole mm-hmm. that really served the entire county. So they did things like looked at where the population centers were. And interestingly enough, they went all the way back to the time of the glaciers. And were saying wow. that <laughs> Bergen County's um, demographics are based on the glaciers. They, they had cut rivers mm-hmm. through the county. And where the rivers have been cut is basically where the population sent, settled, which if you think about it, that makes sense. You've got Hackensack yeah, River right. and we're all along the rivers. So they looked at that and said, what we really need are parks along the rivers. That'll protect us as water levels. If there's flooding, um, instead of having structures along the, the rivers that will get washed away, we'll have parks that'll get a little flooded, but that's a whole lot easier to to repair than structures that have been washed away. Um, and they worked out ways to connect all the various parks in Bergen County and bring people in from their towns and their cities into the park so they're accessible to everyone. It's an amazing effort. Oh, it is an amazing effort. And uh, I'm very honored to have been there when this was an idea floating in your head and to have popped in and out of it uh, at various uh, points and gone to meetings and to presentations. And uh, it is amazing uh, how this uh, idea is becoming actuality uh, right in front of our eyes. And uh, um, I remember sitting in on a meeting where the economic benefits of having a greenway were discussed, and uh, this will also be a boom to our local uh, economy. Yes, this is what the pressure of having our 50 people come in and comment on the Bergen County Parks Master Plan like I said, they, they had concentrated on greenways along rivers, saying this would make our, our county resilient for floods. But towns like Tenafly, Northvale, Demarest, Creskill, aren't along rivers. They were along the railroads. And so having a bicycle path instead of a dead railroad going down the middle of the town is expected to bring a lot more traffic to the, st- the stores and make them more vibrant. So that was incorporated into the last round of the, the Bergen, County master, Bergen County Parks Master Plan, which wow. was really a triumph. Now, since they went all the way back to the uh, glaciers in terms of the evolution of uh, um, Bergen County, um, are they looking into projections of what uh, Bergen County would be like in the future? Yes, they basically um, projected where the populations would increase, Mm -hmm. um, where places that don't have green spaces now relative to the size of population near them. As you might expect, where we are in the northeastern quadrant of Bergen County has a lot of green spaces. Um, Yes. As does the western side of Bergen County. The southern area is very, very populous and doesn't have so many parks. So they are looking to concentrate building parks down there, which means that they're that Bergen County is not going to make the Greenway a priority necessarily, 
but they definitely support the work and feels that that fits into their overall plan. I also learned that Bergen County has a huge number of golf courses, and yes. I didn't realize that. Ten, well, I mean, I knew there were golf courses, but I found out that ten percent of Bergen County's parks are golf courses. They are a significant source of revenue to the park system, and it's one of the most used types of parks in Bergen County. So all those things that I thought were very elitist, apparently because they are run by the county, are accessible to a much wider swath of people. And they studied that and acknowledged that, and they're looking to improve them by doing things like taking the green areas in golf courses that you don't actually golf on, like mm-hmm. the sides of the runways, and turn them into pollinator gardens. Oh, wow. So we get a dual use out of them. So that was kind of fun. It is. And uh, I, I know that wildlife's been coming into Bergen County, and there have actually been bear sightings on some of the uh, golf courses. Um, and... Uh, uh, so that's very interesting. And then we have the deer, of course, uh, that are coming back in. So creating all these green spaces would be uh, very good uh, for the animal populations that are that are moving through the area as well, especially those that are wild. Definitely, I'm, I'm trying to. I'm sure that they address that, and I don't believe I read that section. I'm not okay. quite sure what their plan is because it's always hard to balance with things like deer that basically destroy the habitat for all these smaller underbrush animals. So that's always interesting, balancing that act. But I don't know what they said about that. The topic for another uh, show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'll have to read that. Um, Another thing they said, that they found a large number of people in Bergen County didn't know about the different types of parks that were available free to them and the different services and entertainment available in the parks. So they are going to concentrate on better communication, better signage of where the parks are, what the facilities are in the parks, what kinds of events they run in the parks. But there's a huge well of facilities that people are not taking advantage of. So even before they get around to putting up their signs and letting people know about them, it might well be worth people's while to go onto the Bergen County Park site and just look at the different parks that are available. That, that is very true. I hear about things uh, in Tenafly because of uh, my involvement. And uh, for about a couple of years, I was on the board of the Demarest uh, Nature Center uh, so I knew about all the things that they were doing, which was continuous uh, things. Uh, and uh, it always struck me that most people who live in these towns and see some of these things in their towns are not aware that these things are going on all the time and they can freely uh, tap into them. Well, there at least you're in your local town and you're kind of aware of the local park that's right by you. But Mm -hmm. you know, for instance, in Tenafly, a lot of people aren't aware that as soon as you go across 9W, there's another park you can join. That particular park is a private park. Um, I think it's Greenbrook Sanctuary. But 
it's a lovely place to to hike through. And I have to check that out. It, there is more underground. Pardon me. I have to check that out. I haven't been there since I was much much uh, younger. Uh, so uh, I've forgotten all about that. Thank you for reminding me. I have to check it out now. Yeah, it, it's it's not something that's on the top of people's mind. They go to the same places they're used to. But Bergen County has a wide range of different types of, you know, they have mountains and they've got meadow, you know, the, the swamps that you can go through, um, good hiking trails. A lot of different kinds of parks. They have Overpeck, which has all kinds of events in it, which is nice. Yeah, here, right, Again. right in town, we have uh, three uh, little parks, and uh, each one of them has their own character and flavor and uh, um, history and uh, uh, possible evolution. I've heard plans uh, for all of them. So uh, it is a very fascinating topic. Actually, there are more parks than that, you know, municipal parks than that in just Tenafly. There's um, all the little neighborhood um, playground parks. That's true. They're nice community centers. And you may be three blocks away from them and not even really realize that they're there. Mm-hmm. Because it might be across the railroad track and you're on the other If you're on D Drive, you might not even realize that on the other side of the track, there's a really large, lovely park. It's not Walnut. I'm trying to figure out which, remember which park it was. It might be Walnut Park. But I know if you walk along Dean Drive that there is a large park on the western side of the tracks. Wow. Uh, I'm right next to uh, the Roosevelt Commons, which uh, is very historical. And uh, when I used to bless Tenafly once a month, which which I'll start doing again uh, sometime in 2020, um, I used to have it in Roosevelt uh, Commons. And uh, um, so much of uh, my growing up as a teenager was uh, hanging out there. And when my eldest son was born, we used to bring him there all the time when we were visiting his grandparents. Um, and uh, that park changed uh, dramatically. It used to be a very uh, welcoming place. And now uh, it's not as welcoming. I don't see people hanging out around uh, uh, the lake feeding the ducks anymore. Well, they did have a fairly aggressive campaign to not make it as hospitable to the geese, which I think cut into how hospitable it was to people. Mm -hmm. They put in the taller marsh grass because geese don't like to land on anything that's taller than four inches. But, of course, people don't like to sit on anything that's taller than about two inches. So people didn't sit there as much. Not as much, no. It was a, it was a social, very social place. I remember, and uh, uh, it's still pretty, but it's it's not as uh, welcoming uh, as it was uh, before. Now, um, when uh, Mayor Elect Mark Zinna was on the show um, a week or so ago, um, we had talked about how um, you know Tenafly and by extension all communities are like a uh, microcosm for what is happening in the greater world. And that if somebody has uh, uh, concerns or interest, if they just check to see what's happening in their town, they will often find uh, a great deal of activities that could use their time, their energy, their expertise in uh, furthering uh, um, you know, something that they might be interested in. And a lot of people are interested in greenery and parks and flowers and animals and, and, 
and so forth. And Tenafly is very rich in opportunities uh, for getting involved in uh, preserving or expanding or redefining uh, these areas. Well, we're having in Tenafly a new dog park. Um, yes. I was going to ask you about that. Any updates? They are, they've finished. They, they, they finally settled on the spot where the dog park would be, which is at the site of the Tenafly, old Tenafly swimming pool, which is a site that the neighbors were used to the noise of the kids at the pool. And dogs occasionally barking are not going to be anywhere near that noisy. And it has lots of good off-street parking nearby. So people taking their dogs to the dog park don't have to worry about their dogs being accidentally hit while they're loading them up or taking them out of the car. Um, so they've built in that swimming pool area, they've fenced off the pool, and they've built one enclosure for the large dogs, and they're working on the enclosure for the small dogs. And early in the new year, they're expecting to open up um, a very rudimentary dog park. It has big squares for the, the large dogs and for the small dogs. It has an airlock on each so that people can open up the first gate, go in with their dogs, close the gate, and then open up the gate into the dog park so dogs don't escape. It'll have a pea gravel surface. Um, this is considered the best um, best practices surface so that dogs um, it can be easily washed. It doesn't hold um, bacteria or whatever. Um, and it has it will have hookups for water. It won't have the water fountains yet or the heating mm-hmm. yet that it needs. Um, we're going to have a fun drive sometime next year. Um, other things that we might get, depending on how much money we raise, I'd love to see a dog washing station so that if you go to the park and your dog gets muddy, before you take them back to your car, you could rinse them off. So you just have wet dog, not wet and muddy dog. Oh, that sounds incredibly uh, awesome. That's a new development. Uh, I wasn't uh, around to no, hear about it's a, it. It's, it's, a, it, it's a wish list. It's not necessarily a, de- a development. We have to raise money for it. But we first want to put in seating and uh, water fountains. We'd also need a sprinkler system because when there's it's very dry in the summer, you want to hose off the dog park periodically just to clean it down. And mm-hmm. if you're doing it manually, you do it during the day. Your maintenance workers would come in and spray it down. But that means you've got wet surfaces when you really want to have the dogs using the park. If you put in an automated sprinkler system, one, you don't pay for the manual labor. And two, you can set it to go as the dog park closes and then it has all night to dry off. So that's usually considered a bit better. Um, it's possible we'd put in lighting so that it could be used for a bit longer hours, and especially in the winter. Um, what other things were we going to put in there? At the moment, the fences are four feet high. Um, that's acceptable. It's not considered best practices. Best practices is six feet high because some of the okay. smaller 
hunting dogs can easily jump four feet high and get into the wrong dog pen, which when you have lots of dogs together, no matter how good-tempered they might be by themselves, you don't want to have a large dog thinking that he's going off hunting a small dog. And being in a pack, they might do that. So you really, really want to keep them separate. And in this park, we've got the large dog park on one side, and then we have a a 10-foot walkway, and the small dog park is on the other side, which should be fine. Dogs aren't going to see the small dog right next to them. But nevertheless, we might eventually want to put in um, higher fences. We might want to put in a shed so that if it starts to sprinkle, you can stand under something while your dog runs around like a crazy dog um, in the rain which dogs seem to like to do when they're playing with each other. Yes, they do. And you heard my uh, little dog. I, I don't think you've met this one. Uh, Sophia, her name is, uh, short for Theosophia. No, I have not met Sophia yet. I've seen and she, she's a chihuahua, and she jumps very high. She can easily jump four feet, as she often, she often does. Um, and uh, she protects me from uh, terrors, both real and imagined. So that was her you heard before, uh, protecting me from imagined uh, terrors. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, it, it sounds like a very fun place uh, you know, to take uh, the dogs or, or just to, you know, go for a walk. We love dogs. Uh, and whether we have our own with us or not, that would be an excellent place uh, to go uh, enjoy the day in. Well, it's funny, in, in designing dog parks, um, a lot of people think it would be a great idea to put seats outside the fenced areas, but you really don't want to encourage, for instance, nannies to bring the small children to watch the dogs at the dog park. Right. It's, it's just not considered a good idea. So um, what they are going to do, supposedly around it, is put in more community gardens which will be nice. I had heard about that uh, too. Um, uh, Mayor Peter Rustin and Mayor Leck, uh, Mark Zinna had both talked about that in the past. So uh, that's something I'm looking forward to. And um, one of the things I'm reminded of as you're, you're talking tonight is how long it takes. Uh, in retrospect, it will have been a short time, but while you're going through it, it seems like a very long time. But uh, the wheels turn slowly, but they turn. And I remember these things, again, being topics of discussion, going back and forth, and information being looked into, and, um, you know, changes of mind uh, having expressed themselves. But if you don't give up, if you're persistent, and if you have a good idea, uh, eventually it will come to pass. Well, if we you can get here. I mean, mm-hmm. been, they've been talking for about a dog park for 15 to 20 years. Yeah. And... Over that time, they were looking at Roosevelt Common, which is already very, very busy with different amenities there. And sports activities. Um, they were activity. looking around. Hmm? And uh, tennis and uh, sports, uh, the Roosevelt Common is uh, full of. You're right. They had skateboards. They had the Roosevelt Monument. They had the, fountain, the, the lake area. They had the little playground area. It's a very busy area. There was the, the track is in that area. A lot mm-hmm. of things going on, and they just felt adding dogs to that mix would be really overcrowding that whole area. So that kind of died. Then they looked at Borough Hall, and there the neighbors on the 
west side were quite anxious not to have a dog park near them. So, you know, they they banded together and they made their concerns known and the council listened. We were fortunate that the uh, swimming pool actually went went bankrupt or went under, closed, because if that space hadn't opened up, we probably would still be waiting for a dog park. <laughs> mm, yes. I remember the different yeah. locations being proposed, and I was there at uh, Burrow Hall when uh, uh, there was a crowd of people and an engineer. Uh, so I remember that whole uh, exploration over there. So I'm glad because we've been thinking about it, and people have been agitated for years. When discussions turned to what do we do with the swim club, people, it wasn't a brand new idea. People don't like brand new ideas. They like to have heard about them for a while and thought about them and whether or not they really wanted the wanted whatever amenities being proposed. So. Things take time because people don't want to spend a lot of money on an idea that's ridiculous a year later. Very true. And talking about money, uh, you said, uh, you know, raising money. And I saw um, a fundraiser that you had done recently, so I put it on my uh, page. Um, If you can let me know about these, uh, like in an email or something, I'll gladly uh, post them. Uh, some people have had fundraisers, uh, didn't get anything. Some people have gotten up to $150, $200 uh, uh, through it being posted on my uh, uh, timeline. So I, oh, I would nice. be honored. I'd be honored to post anything you have if I'm aware of it. I'm not sure. This, this one will be a fundraiser where the borough collects the money. Okay. Not a 501c3. I'll have to see if that's, that's possible to set up. Okay. The rules are a little different when you're giving money to a governmental entity. It still counts as a tax-deductible or a charitable donation, but not exactly in the same way. So we'll have to look into that. Are there any other projects that are thoughts in your brain right now that you care to share? Because, uh, again, I, I'm amazed by you because uh, – um, you're very patient, you're very determined, you're very focused, uh, you're very uh, goal-oriented, um, you have a plan. <laughs> so it'll be very interesting to see what we can expect uh, in the next half decade or so. Oh, I'm always hoping that we can do things to fix up the, oh, this is a, this is a combination from inspired partially by the Bergen County Master Plan for the parks and partially by the Historic Preservation Committee for the Northern Valley Greenway and for the town. When you have something like a park, you want to have good wayfaring signs, signs that tell you where is the shopping district when you're on the um, Greenway, where can you Mm -hmm. go to get something to eat, Um, which way is the way home, which way is north or south? You might not immediately know which that way that is, especially if it's the noon. Um, and it's it's nice to have signs that help you out when you get turned around. Um, yes. So some people are more gifted than others 
in designing very clear signage. And we're considering whether um, going out and getting some kind of grant to start doing preliminary designs for signage so that if towns are thinking about upgrading their wayfaring signs, that they could perhaps integrate it in the style of the greenway so that the town looks consistent all the way across. Now, wayfaring signs are usually at the end of the project. So this is okay. a you know, do it now so the towns put in their their signs for the next five years will slowly meld into the Northern Valley Greenway signs. So that's wow. one of the things I'm I'm tossing around as to strategically planning how we might do this to get it done in the most efficient way. That sounds awesome. And uh, personally, I happen to like uh, um, the look of towns that are um, thematically tied together through uh, uh, facing, you know, if not architecture, uh, you know, to give them a flavor, a distinct, uh, unique uh, looks. And I know other people have expressed the same. Yeah, so if I'm we could start finding. Yeah, I mean, I was traveling in Portugal, and you go along the highway, and they would have decorations, say, all in earth tones. But when you reached a given town, perhaps green might be the predominant color. And the next one would be an orange or a pumpkin, and the next one would be a brown, would be the predominant color. And you go through this beautiful progression of colors, but you'd always know where you were based on, on the color wheel, basically. Just another way to just subtly signal where you were in the past. That was a highway, but I thought it was very interesting. Yes, that, that is that is interesting. And uh, when you have meetings, I'd be interested in attending uh, those um, I have my own personal vision of what uh, Tenderfly uh, should look like, and uh, um, I shared it uh, several times. Uh, not many people agreed with me, but uh, <laughs> I shared my vision uh, nonetheless, and I encourage others to share theirs, even if it differs from mine, because uh, uh, Tenderfly is a really special uh, place, and we're very blessed uh, to be here, and uh, so it should uh, um, maximize its potential in every possible way. Absolutely. Now, where can people go to find out more about the Northern Valley uh, Greenway uh, Project? Uh, where can they go to donate some money toward this endeavor? Um, and uh, where can they go to contact you? Uh, first two are nzgreenway.org. Um, I have to say, sign up to be a volunteer. We're going out, and we've been told the most important thing to work on at the moment is outreach. Because while we know about it, and not even everyone knows about it in our small quarter of Bergen County, we need to be talking to church groups and libraries, mayors and councils, to get the word out throughout Bergen County because this will be a facility that will be attractive to everybody in Bergen County. And the more attractive it is, the more likely we are to get help get it to be built fast. Um, I don't know if I have time to volunteer for something conventional. However, I do believe in this project, and I've been, you know, able to um, spread awareness of whatever things that I have. Uh, and I would be honored to do something weekly. 
to spread awareness uh, through the various uh, channels that I have available uh, to me. And uh, uh, although we're running out of time today, I will be speaking with you soon. Uh, some new opportunities for communicating to larger groups of people have been opening up. So uh, I will gladly uh, uh, use those to spread news of the Greenway as well. Excellent. And okay, I believe we Go ahead. get hold of us through volunteers at northernvalleygreenway.org. But the, if you go to the, the website, nvgreenway.org, there are buttons you can push that will get hold of us. And those come, a lot of those messages come to me. I put links to uh, the Facebook group and to the website in uh, the description for today's show, or one of the descriptions for today's uh, show. Um, and I will post something um, afterwards uh, as well. And I will make it a habit once a week of checking what's going on uh, on these uh, sites so that I can you know, share information and post. Well, I'm very pleased to say that we have a new person in charge of outreach who is um, very committed to getting more frequent newsletters out. They just posted awesome. a summary of our accomplishments for the year, and she'll be updating that more frequently. That was one of the places where we kept falling down. We were doing all these things, but we weren't necessarily letting people know. So now our website will be getting a little bit more frequent update and our Facebook page. Our Facebook page is the most current thing at the moment. Okay, I'll make sure that people uh, go there. I will check for fundraisers as I did and post uh, anything that's up and any news that's up, I will share it. Um, after your uh, segment, uh, we have the Sussex report uh, with uh, Astrid, and she and I have been working on uh, some environmental type of uh, of things. So we'll include it there as well and get the information out. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Christine, you're incredibly awesome. Words do not even begin <laughs> to describe how awesome you are. Thank you so much for being on the show, and I look forward to speaking with you both on the air and off very soon. Sounds good. Talk to you later. Okay. Be well and happy Bye. holidays. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Uh, we're going to listen to Dave the Bard's Gently Johnny, and then we'll be back with the Sussex Report. And Astrid and I will be reviewing what we've done so far with our different efforts and uh, uh, discussing what we can do to further everything in 2020, including the Northern Valley Greenway Project.
Greetings and welcome back to the Elysium Project. This is Hercules Invictus, and our next segment is starting with the Sussex Report uh, with Astrid and continuing to evolve uh, from there into a review of what has been accomplished and what still needs to be done. Greetings and welcome, Astrid. Greetings, Hercules. And I find it amazing that we were just talking about the beginning of 2019, and here we are looking at the close. Yes. <laughs> and the time zoomed by so quickly, but a lot got done this year. A lot happened. It was an eventful year. Yes. And I'd like to give this uh, little name to our, our little uh, podcast here tonight, and it's called Looking Back While Moving Forward. Awesome. And we can... And it's exactly it, because it's the year in review when you look back to how things have changed, whether it be negative or positive, and then see what we can do in 2020 to make things even be more effective. And uh, I look at Sussex County and, and where we started with the Sussex report, and it basically started off with some of the politics and some of the different things going on, but then it, mm-hmm. it, it evolved into look at all of the organizations that exist, look at all of the community support that's present, and thinking back to the interviews we've had and, and the groups that we've discussed, you know, what comes to mind is that Karen Ann Quinlan Hospice, which is just yes. amazing with all the all the different things that they do for people dealing with grief themselves, uh, family interaction, um, fundraising to help people, you know, towards their final days. Uh, it's an amazing organization, and they are be, be celebrating next year their 40th anniversary. They're having an event on April 18th at Corona Farms to honor Julia Quinlan, who started this endeavor. And if you would like to know more about it or any of the different programs and supports and services, you can go to their site and you can also, um, you know, utilize their number, which I'm sure you have. And I will send some of these uh, uh, information, some of this information along again. Project self-sufficiency, so project self-sufficiency in Mill Street in um, Newton started in 1986, still going strong. Uh, amazing what they have done to give people what they need, the tools and the support in order to be self-sufficient, whether it be housing, education, shelter. Amazing the things that they have done. So, you know, another great organization, Norwest Cap, doing things for um, people that are limited in income. Again, outreach programs, things to help them along to survive. Amazing. And besides all these not-for-profit groups, we've seen creativity flower in Sussex County with um, the Kildred Spirits Art Center where people can go and be, you know, creative, do different programs, learn a new skill. That's right in Branchville. And the other thing that's really great is the um, Skylands Performing Arts Center. They call it Skypack. I love that. And that is centering on um, doing things for the community 
in terms of art. They provide local students in grades K through 12 with scholarship opportunities to attend classes and productions at the Newton Theater Arts Academy. They have all different concepts in terms of um, programs and what art can do and music and theater. And uh, I love this one little story because it says here, the Newton Theater Arts Academy allows us to bring the arts into the lives of local children. We're committed to continuing to offer need-based scholarships to local students. And they're looking for donations. You know, if you can donate, this is a great group to donate. They have, through funds, been able to donate tickets to local schools and charities. They've hosted autism awareness events. They have free tickets to activities. And they host multiple benefit concerts. Uh, Isn't that wonderful? And it's tax-deductible contribution. You can go to www.skypack.org slash donate. It's wonderful, you know, and when I read a comment that the a person that um, that uh, basically organizes it all, the director, our education director, Sarah Bartlett, she said, I met this boy Andrew when he was in fourth grade and in a bad place. No father in the picture, mother died, he was being raised by his aunt, and he was angry. His aunt convinced him to, to participate in a after-school theater program she was running, and she witnessed firsthand how he was ignored and bullied. So she held auditions. He got up to sing. Out came the voice of an angel, and he began to change. End story is that he's now a freshman at a major university studying theater, and his aunt said that theater saved his life. Isn't that wonderful? That is awesome. Yeah, you know, so there's so many things that that come along that that brighten people's lives, that open portals for them. You know, not just in being sustaining life with the necessities, but also finding that creative spark that can solve some dilemmas. I found out about a new place. It's called Benny's Bodega, and okay. Benny, I love this. He's a vital resource. For those in need of necessities, food, clothing, hygiene, cleaning supplies, baby supplies, and it's a brainchild of Department of Child Protection and Permanency. Uh, he's a worker there over the years, and he just decided to do more with it, you know, encompassing dinners, toy deliveries. He got a promotion from an investigator to um, a resource development specialist, and that got him moving. He got his family involved, the grass effort grew and then they use it as a resource now to strengthen community partnerships so look into Benny's Bodega because that's amazing he's doing an awful lot now he could be found on Facebook and um, he's he wants to procure a storefront to further facilitate different ways to do things because right now I think it's basically done it at his house so here we go here's someone who's doing something on his own and I marvel at it. I really do. It's, it's magnificent. Yeah, that is great. Uh, here in Tenafly, we have uh, someone, she has a nail salon, and she's helping to school people in uh, Africa, um, the the village where she came from. And there, there was a lot of uh, um, uh, hostility between different tribes and different uh, religions that uh, sure. people that are in the area. And to attend school, it's quieted all that animosity and minimized the amount of uh, uh, bad interactions that were happening before. So it is amazing what one individual can uh, do. 
Definitely. And and what I would say is we look back at all these programs and we, we discuss them uh, over the year or so. And and let's look forward. Let's become more proactive with these groups. Let's see if there's one that you're really interested in or if you're you know doing your spring cleaning and you want to get rid of different things. Find an organization you can donate to, and and be useful within your your um, uh, your community. You know, get more involved. That's very true, and that's been coming up uh, a lot lately. Christine and I uh, um, were. I just heard some of it. It was magnificent. Yeah, really great interview. I really was very interested in what she had to say. And yeah, besides the Sussex report, where we get into the community. We okay. usually do our our four elements, and yeah. we look back, and we've discussed all these different things that have happened. You know, some points, talking points would be the EPA lessening regulations. You know, the president pulling us out of the Paris Climate Accord. Uh, we weren't involved with the 200 nations in Madrid with the UN climate talks. We were not involved, but yet looking forward. There have been people and organizations that refused to stand still, and right. one being EWG.org, which is a proactive consumer group. It's there for people to know about the environment, how it affects you, products, whether it be the water, because we've talked about how they, they have different ways you can test water, and they talk about uh, putting in your zip code, and you can find out about different particulates that might be an issue in your area. Uh, they also have, um, you know, the, 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 the 12 dirty dozen foods that you should get organic. They mm-hmm. also now just posted certain things. I know I had sent something to you, one of the many <laughs> emails about them talking about the most horribly toxic things within the home and things that you need to get rid of because they do present I such a danger. Those, yes. Yes, I told them them and we'll read them, uh, um, I guess, uh, tomorrow when I have a little bit of uh, time. But I did see that and I did see through it. (laughs) Most definitely. And and then when you you start to look at some of the organizations that we've talked about, um, it is amazing. It really is. And I'm trying to go back here to look at some of them. And um, we've had in the past talked about EWG.org. They have a national tap water database, foodandwaterwatch.org, with petitions and actions related to water contaminants and abuses uh, with the earth, actionnetwork.org, who is very involved with petitions and action taken in relation to corporate abuses in conjunction with earth and water elements, dailycost.com which is really involved with research, petitions, and actions related to bills, studies, and politics. It's unbelievable. We also talked about the um, control management of the algae blooms, and as we saw that in Lake Apacon and different lakes, we see now that there's movement being made in terms of in New Jersey to deal with uh, runoff limits, watershed implantation plans, all these different ways of beginning storm water utilities. So we're starting to see some changes. Yes. And as we always say, you know, if you're not sure of the information, you can always go to the truth. Make sure that the information is involved with the Truth and Records Act. 
there are other other really great groups that will basically give you information like uh, Source Watch, and of course, um, you know, a couple other ones as well. You know, so these are the things that you want to do. You want to start looking into the information and not just hear the negative, but see what's being done and see where, how you can take an active part in something that, uh, that is viable to our existence. That, that is very true, and there is ample opportunity in our own community uh, to get involved in these efforts or can get involved in something larger that covers a, a wider geographical area. But uh, the information age uh, and uh, the ability to check the information uh, gives us freedom to focus our energies and our attention where we feel it's needed. And that is a, a blessing. Oh, for sure. And then something that um, I have personally been very affected by, and I know others in this area, and lately it seems to be all over the place, is the power outages. Now, we had two to three of them up here. We've had, I understand, again, related to climate change, that we are getting these ice and wintry mixed storms now rather than having you know, the uh, snowfalls of abundance that we had when we were children, you know, and you shoveled mm-hmm. snow, and now it's, you know, it's been a horror. But, um, you know, most of us have been affected by these power outages. And, and in a rural area like Sussex County, where you have roads that have extensive trees and lots of land, it's important for Jersey, North, uh, North Jersey Central Power and Light to jump on prevention, and we have talked about this in the past, like they have started now to do something called, I love this word, vegetation maintenance. Don't you love it? And um, don't you love it? Vegetation maintenance. You know, it's very simple. When there are areas where there are constant power outages, maybe you need to address those areas and have a system to prevent some of these situations. Obviously, ice storms are always going to be, you know, tough. But even with basic storms, we had several really bad rainstorms. It was unbelievable, you know, what we dealt with here. And I have to say, you know, since uh, our, our representative in the district, um, Josh Gonheimer, got involved uh, last year, seems Jersey Central Power and Light jumps a little faster now to deal with it uh, because people were just disgusted of having it be an everyday part of life. And I know you had mentioned um, the last time we talked about it that you have to be proactive and towns have to start setting things up beforehand. And there was a program called CERT, which is planning people in terms of um, uh, aftermath of, of community disasters. Well, they were out with the storms. The uh, Andover CERT members volunteered to assist at two Red Cross events because so many people lost power. They set up hot food stations. Members of the community were invited to come and charge their devices, get warm, eat a hot meal. And I know, for a fact, the county had something set up at uh, Sussex Botech. But let's have better communication about it. Oh, certainly so. Uh, I know here in uh, Tenafly we have... uh... Uh, someone who used to be a councilman, and uh, he's involved with disaster management with the United Nations. And he used to have, when he was uh, active in the council, 
uh, workshops showing what the town had in place in case of uh, disasters of various magnitudes. And it was very interesting how well thought sure. out and how prepared they were for these things. Right. And, and you know, they, they should, there are models that are set in place that some communities use. Other communities should step up and confer with them rather than see them as a rival. And right. to have someone say, oh, go on Facebook or get online does not help when you have a power outage because no, you can't get anything. Even our phone lines were down. So if you have DSL, forget it. Forget about a regular phone. But there have to be other ways, like no ways of knowing that you can go to a center and find out what roads are being closed, what is being set up for people in communities. Is it county-oriented? Is it township-oriented? These are the kind of things that should be set in place for 2020. And I hope they, you know, we start to see that change so we're more prepared to deal with these things because the way it's looking, looking like more storms, more power outages, and more hurricanes. Yes, it it is looking like that, unfortunately. And uh, we've been hit with uh, many in a row now. Uh, it seems like uh, almost every other week we have uh, one of these uh, disasters and not got the power. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and as I say, it's not rural anymore. It seems to be, like, all over the place now. Okay. Um, yeah, and um, looking back, let's let's move on, like, at the national level here. Looking okay. back, we've seen House of Representatives that had movement for the first time in a long time in this country. And there were, I could not believe this when I read this, 400 bills that were passed by the House wow. of Representatives that had been sitting because Mitch McConnell, the majority head of the Senate, refuses to even bring them to the Senate because it doesn't agree with him or his particular party. And this is not about a party. This is about the will of the people. And these are things that were brought to the floor in the House because people wanted these bills. Things such as, and these are some of the things, and these are taken from PolitiFact, which is a... um, a research organization that has won Pulitzer Prizes for their information and their writing. Bills involving drug pricing, controlling the drug companies. Bills related to the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement that just has stalled, not has not been signed or moved. Voting Rights Advancement Act, so that what happened in 2016 does not happen in 2020. For the People Act. Bipartisan Background Checks Act, and that's related to firearms, where you're looking at the background. That has not moved. Climate Action Now Act, so it's involving getting back into the Paris Accord and funding for that. Raise the Wage Act. And then, of course, Election Security Act. Why would anyone not want to move these bills forward for a vote? I'm saying you have to pass them, but why would you not? Move it forward. So that is we must uh, um, ask ourselves, and uh, um, I think that uh, taking a proactive approach, as you said, 
and um, leaving behind the bipartisanship, as you said, and just addressing these yes. uh, as issues that are uh, important to all people <laughs> might be the best uh, uh, way. And I'm exactly. trying to move well. Exactly. And, and I'm going to bring it up at this because this is another thing I talked to you about, I feel very strongly about, and that is the Privacy Act. Now, now we have someone, let me see if I can bring this up because I have so much going on over here with information, but there is a Privacy Act bill. It said that there is a new tough punishment, proposed tough punishments for Facebook, Google, other techie giants that mishandle the user's personal data, unveiling a sweeping new online privacy bill that aims to provide people their Miranda rights for the digital age. And this is being led by Senator Maria Cantwell. She's a Washington State Democrat who has worked in the tech industry, so she knows what goes on. And it marks a significant attempt by Congress to write the country's first ever national consumer privacy law and um, deal with the massive data scandals that have illustrated the course of the U.S. government's inaction. This bill would allow people to see their personal information that's amassed about about them, block it from being sold, propose steep fines, and open the door for web users to bring lawsuits if social media sites, retailers, and others engage in harmful practices and break the rules. Three people in the House voted against this, and I'm sad to say they're Republicans because they said it had to do with business. How anyone could vote, I don't care what party the person is, how anyone could vote against this, just like with the robo bill that was passed by by the House in terms of a Pallone presenting that, the few people that were against it (laughs) were uh, Republicans that were said it was, you know, well, it's a business factor. And, you know, when you're being terrorized and you don't even want to pick up your phone and five billion illegal robocalls in November alone, that's amazing. You know, it's amazing between not being able to use your phone, not knowing if it's a scammer, not knowing what is being said about you or being um, perpetuated. But more than that, I resent the fact that Our information is out there for everyone and anyone to take. So looking back at all that's gone on, and I have to applaud the EU and Great Britain in particular for bringing Facebook to task, particularly Mr. Mark there, because they would not tolerate his excuse of like, well, you know, it just happens. No, no, no. You're in charge of a huge business here, and you have not respected the rights of the people that are utilizing this. So, uh, and now there was just a whole big thing that came out. It came out much later in the paper. For five days, Meridian Healthcare was held ransom. Five Hmm. days they could not access in Hackensack. So Meridian Healthcare. Uh, I guess that involves Hackensack Hospital. I'm not too sure that, that people would have to look into that. Five days held ransom. How could our information that we're entrusting these people, you know, to have to make portals, patient portals, which I'm going to ask for all my information to be, to be deleted from the portal because I just got something from a rehab saying that their people that utilize it, I guess their rehab um, therapists, 
It was hacked, okay. so all your information is out there. This country needs to do something seriously with security and our online privacy. It is out of control. I'm, I'm tired of Experian, who is a credit company, sending letters, now a healthcare industry. There is something wrong when we keep pushing AI and all this, you know, do this online, do that online, when our security and safety has not been protected. That's very uh, true. Bill has written a lot about that, about the threat of uh, um, AI. And uh, um, we, we're going to do a show on that sometime in the very near future where we could focus on understanding that a bit better and taking some sort of action. Exactly. And, and, and I'm really hoping that this goes through, and I'm sure there'll be petitions about this. But people, we have to start being more proactive, too, being aware of the fact that our information is all out there. I personally have nothing to do with Facebook after having to de- dealing with them a few years back with being uh, stalked and, and other issues, and they did very little to protect me. And um, I have issues with people putting things out there for profit and not thinking about how it, you know, how it affects all of us, you know, with the identity theft or this or that or, or stalking and, and then just shrug the shoulders. I think that they have got to be held more accountable. Yes, we live in a age where uh, responsibility is something that many want to shirk. So uh, that <laughs> We're going to have to, uh, that's a bigger social problem than uh, I thought uh, we would have at a particular point in time in our, in our journey. Um, Astrid, we're approaching the end, so this might have to be a part uh, two. Um, well, I think basically just looking back at these things that we've done and talked about mm-hmm. and seeing some changes, let's see if we can move it on more. And I have to say, you have brought your program to amazing heights. You know, and that's how I'd like to close is just for you to talk about what you have seen happen with your program and where you see it going for 2020. Oh, wow. Uh, Basically um, I believe that uh, an individual human being or an individual citizen has uh, power if we, but claim it. And that, uh, we need to somehow get past the tribal bickering, whatever our tribe, our tribes happen exactly. to be, and to look at humanity as a whole. And uh, even if we define our tribe as the people in our family or in our city or in our country or in our hemisphere or, or on our planet, to start thinking about more than our immediate uh, um, bunch of uh, people and to see how we can benefit uh, everybody. And because there are so many things that need uh, to get done and all of us are limited in our time, our energy, and our other resources, uh, we have to pick wisely and narrow down. And that I think if we each did what we could do, um, we would influence enough people to do what they need to do. And like a simple thing, too, if if you treat people in your world with kindness, And nobody's going to be 100% kind all the time. That's understood. But if you attempt to treat people kindly, uh, the kindness will spread. And more people will treat each other kindly and have a ripple effect 
Um, and the same thing if you take responsibility for a particular challenge in your community, like uh, clean water. Sure. Right. Uh, and even if you devote your time and energy and resources to that, it will make a difference. And everybody's sharing information. You share a lot of information. I'm very grateful. And as much of it as I can share, I share. Uh, Bill uh, shares a lot of information. My wife gathers tons of information. So it's just basically in what I'm focusing on, how can I share the information? How can I get the information out there? Uh, how can I create links uh, between um, the person and what they can possibly do about, you know, whatever they're concerned about. And there are enough people doing that at this point that eventually there'll be a tipping point and our focus will stop being on our selves, you know, and on our communities and uh, uh, we'll all live a better life. Most definitely. Because, you know, even something as simple as just smiling at the checker and Walmart, <laughs> can right. make their day better. You know, that little story about that woman with that, you know, bringing that child in, you know, who lost the one parent and the other one, you know, had issues and, and he had anger and he found theater. This woman made a major difference right. in this child's life. And and that's, it, it can do it just for one person. That's the start. That's the start. And that, I think, is a very positive uh, place to end our conversation today. Astrid, thank you. You're incredibly awesome. Uh, I'm very honored to be working with you, and uh, I always learn a lot. And uh, uh, I'm looking forward to our adventures in 2020. Most definitely. And thank you again for having that platform for everybody, the people that, that are on your show and people that are listening. You know, it, it makes for a community. There you go. That it does. Have a wonderful <laughs> evening. I'll talk to you in a second when I put the music on. And uh, Most definitely. Bill Waitman with I in Northern New Jersey. And tonight his uh, guest is Henry Haskup, who's been on the show before.
And 
Greetings and welcome back to the Elysium Project, where we strive to create the best of all worlds for everybody. Uh, If you're going to have a goal, you might as well have a bold one. Uh, The last segment of our show is I on Northern New Jersey, hosted by Bill Waitman. His guest tonight is Henry Haskup, who's been a guest on the show before. Greetings and welcome, gentlemen. Hey, Uh, thank you. Pretty good. Um, I'm looking forward to listening to you guys uh, talk about the Boxing Hall of Fame. Um, Thank you for being on the show, and I'll be here if you need me. No problem, Hercules. Henry, I love that name. I love that name. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) The other Hercules actually boxed. But. let me ask you this. Uh, I just was looking around at something. Uh, great fight. Uh, Jack Dempsey, Gene Tunney. Uh, I think the heavyweight championship threw 120,000 people in Philadelphia. Yeah. There, is there anything like that anymore? Will, will that come back? Well, I mean, first of all, you got to have a big stadium like that. I know Joshua, he, yeah. uh, he was given, uh, you know, uh, big crowds of uh, – near that, you know, at just under 100,000 uh, several years ago. I think it was Chavez and uh, Greg Haugen. They, they even had 130,000. But, you know, you got to have a big, big arena. And, uh, I mean, how far are you going to sit away from the action, you know, to, to see the fights? I mean, if it's, if it's that big. Henry, was there, was there ever a fight? In, I, I, I don't remember who the boxers was. I thought it was Jack Dempsey, but I don't think it was. Uh, that fought like in in Jersey City in an open area, like that. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're probably talking about Boyle's Thirty Acres on uh, July second, nineteen twenty one. That was when uh, Jack Dempsey and uh, Georges Carpentier they fought in the first million dollar gate in boxing history. Uh, wow. Carpentier was the light heavyweight champion, and uh, you know Dempsey was a heavyweight champion. Now. You know, Dempsey became one of the most popular fighters of all time, but at that time, he, he really wasn't. He he uh, he was uh, more of a he was called like a draft dodger, and uh, Carpentier, whoa, whoa, whoa. yeah, Carpentier was actually a war hero. So you know, they built it up uh, you know, good against the bad, and you know, even the Jersey City fans from the United States of America were rooting for Carpentier, but. Uh, you know, outside one big right hand in the second round by Carpentier, it was mostly Dempsey all the way, and he uh, he knocked him out. I mean, they he built that brutal. stadium in just a, a little over a month, you know, and, and that stadium uh, stayed there for several years, and they had several off fights there. In fact, uh, years later, we uh, we put up a monument, not a monument, a, a, a plaque designating the site of that fight. I mean, people came from oh all God. over. Where was it? Where was that fight? That was in Boyle. That, they call it Boyle Thirty Acres in um, in uh, Jersey City. Uh, I think I Do you Montgomery, think that plaque's uh, still up? Oh yeah, yeah, it should be up. I, we we celebrated the eight. Let's see, the seventy fifth anniversary. Then we celebrated the eighty fifth, and uh, you know the hundredth anniversary is coming up in nineteen twenty one. So uh, hopefully, you know, I can get the mayor and everything like this and gather everybody together and uh, we could have a like That a would be a big thing for Jersey City. They have to, yeah. the, what happened last week, uh, oh, 
the you craziness know, of uh, last week. Uh, my my condolences go out to everyone. Uh, you know, see the people that unbelievable. I mean, uh, I, I just don't know. I, I just don't know why anybody would want to hurt anybody. I mean, you know, I mean, why? I mean, you know, they, you know, this these guys didn't even know these people, and they just go into a store and it, or a it, graveyard. I never figured African Americans would do that. Uh, yeah, you know, well, I mean, you know. I think they get brainwashed somehow, you know. <clears throat> you know, they listen to yeah, people. Like, uh, I've seen a movie where, you know, where a man, uh, African American, penetrates into the uh, Ku Klux Klan. It was more of a comedy, but it was true. But I just couldn't imagine that uh, uh, happening. Um, uh, uh, I gotta ask you another question. I was just yeah. looking around, and uh, you probably have the fix on this. Everywhere I look, there are at least ten boxing clubs in, you know, in, in uh, just about every town. I mean, in Vernon, Sussex County, I don't know if this used to be a guy that used to come to your meetings. He uh, he had a big ring up there, and he had a ring in Miami, and uh, I don't know, I don't know if he if he's still around. Uh, well, Don McIntyre, yeah, Don McIntyre, yeah. he, he had a he had a ring. Uh, uh, they called it Ring Thirty Four. And uh, you know, he was the president of that. In fact, they emceed a couple of his events. So he he was a uh, you know uh, a light heavyweight and heavyweight uh, back in the day, back in the sixties and seventies. He fought you know Chuck Webner and uh, Tom McNeely. <clears throat> you know he he wasn't bad, but uh, you know there's not too many out there uh, anymore. Like like uh, years ago, there was like five or six just in your own town. Now there's only uh, a few, you know. There's not that many. I mean, uh, there's amateur you boxing these, uh, clubs. Yeah. That, Do you think these things are the, uh, the other kind of boxing? What is it like, kickboxing or something like well, that? Well, it's MMA. MMA. You know, f- for uh, the younger generation, I guess, you know, it's more exciting. And the way I see it is that if you like boxing, you're gonna watch boxing. But if you like, let's you say, like wrestling, MMA. you like judo, you like karate, you like. Uh, some kind of, uh, let's say, uh, Taekwondo or Jiu-Jitsu, you know, you're going to say, geez, I wonder if the Jiu-Jitsu guy can beat the karate guy, you know. So <laughs> they actually draw more. And uh, it, when I used to go to uh, their events, you know, and uh, they had um, uh, amateur events, and they, they, were, mm-hmm. they were charging like three or four times as much as the amateur boxing. And I'm saying, wow. gee, how can they do this? And I'm looking around, and the place is packed, and it's a different clientele. It, it, you know, uh, you, you know, you hate to say it, but the, the you know, the, the boxers are more like, uh, you know, the ghetto type uh, type uh, people. Yeah. You know, people from Newark and uh, Patterson that want to get away out. You know, uh, you know, mm-hmm. you know, everybody thinks they're going to be a world champion, and and they're good. I mean, you know, you're not going to see. Uh, a great boxer from uh, you know some rich area because they just don't go into it. But uh, let's say like Shakur Stevenson, he came from Newark, you know, and he's now he's a world champion. You know, uh, if he lived in let's mm-hmm. say up in Bergen County or you know a nice town, he probably wouldn't even got into boxing. You know, so you know that's that's you know that's where it's I, at. I'm, I'm forgetting I'm forgetting a name. Uh, you would remember him, and I. He was a big trainer at a Toto or something. Oh, it's Lou Duva. He had a, a tighter Lou Duva, 
and he had a, yeah. a championship type fighter who got in some trouble. Lou Duva, is he still alive, Lou Duva? No, in fact, uh, he died a few years ago, and I, I gave the eulogy. <laughs> and uh, I do and a nine count that? instead of a ten. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it kind of, we had a large, large group there when I was up there speaking. And, uh, you know, he, he was a, I was pretty close with him. And, uh, you know, he was up there in age. He was over 90. Uh, you know, wow. he, 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 he you know, you're talking about the guy that really got in trouble was Tony Ayala. Actually, you know, he, I remember him. Yeah, yeah he was um, it some kind of sexual thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, he got in trouble that way, and uh, you know, he had a lot of talent. Yeah. In fact, he had a couple of brothers that were fighters, a father that was his trainer, and uh, you know, the whole family was into into boxing, and he was the most talented one. I mean, they thought he was going to be the next Liberto Duran. And, uh, in fact, wow. when he got out of prison, he started fighting again, you know, and he won a few, and then, and then he lost because he was up there in age. But, uh, yeah, that was Tony Ayala, uh, you know. Uh, I remember him a, well. Yeah. Yeah, they, he had a, a good group of fighters then, uh, you know. They had Bobby Chez and, you know, from from wow. Wanaku and, uh, you know. And, you know I, and Ayala I ran into him. I ran into him one day, uh at a school up there, because I think he was on the Board of Education or something. Oh, Bobby? Um, yeah. Yeah, he yeah, well, Bobby, uh, yeah, yeah, he was. He ran for uh, for the Board of Education. He was very smart. I mean, he was in a Mesa club and everything else, which means uh, very high IQ. But uh, he, he's he's fallen into hard times lately. I mean, you know, he, he was a world champion in, in a couple of divisions, and, uh, you know, he he, he had a he had a gig on Showtime. In fact, he was on network news. He was the, one of the broadcasters, and he he was he was so good behind the mic. Then uh, you know he had a he had addiction problem with uh, you know you know alcohol, and uh, you know he lost yeah. that. And then uh, then next thing I know, he's working in Shoprite. You know, bagging groceries. Oh my God! You know, is he still then, doing that? Well, he is moved he to alive? Patterson. You know. Uh, about over a year ago, he moved in with this uh, this Randy uh, guy. He's an actor, a uh, very good actor, and uh, he lived with him for a while. But a few months ago, he had to move out of there, and he moved down to South Jersey again. So, you know, I, I see him at the events. You know, he's he's always invited to events. He, he's uh, he's very good. He, in fact, the last time I saw him, I believe, was at the we had a, a roast for uh, Chuck Webner. You know, guy from Bayonne. You know, he, he has uh, uh, cancer and everything like this, and they oh wanted to roast him. And they're uh, and they're they're having um, you know they built this uh, monument or statue of him, and uh, they want to you know get that paid. So he had a roast for him, and Bobby Ches was there. So you know he looked very good there too. He spoke and everything. So it's it is i i've met chuck webner a couple of times he was a liquor salesman across the we oh, yeah. had a bar on, yep. on Bro- yep. route one and nine and he was across the street with a chinese restaurant we'd always drag him in <laughs> I don't yeah know. well, but we had, well we him and his wife were both liquor salesmen i'll tell you a funny story i was working you know when i used to work for public service i was a what they call a corrosion technician and i was in the middle mm-hmm. of the street and uh, and I'm checking the wires for uh, for you know corrosion on pipes and everything. And I I seen Chuck Webner go into the to the ringside bar. 
which was which was run by Mario Costa and Mike Tyson goes there all the time. I'm saying, geez, he's in there. What the heck is going on? You know. So I, you know, I yelled, but he didn't hear me. So I cleaned everything up. I parked my van and I went into it, and I'm here in my work clothes. And there was, I said, well, I thought Chuck Webner's here. Oh, he's in the back room with all the rest of the guys. I went back room, and uh, and there was TV cameras and everything. I said, oh, what the heck's going on? Oh, Henry, 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 come here. Come here, maybe you can speak. And they speak. And I'm saying, oh, I'm, a, I'm a wreck here. No, no, here. Here, put this jacket on. I've had the jacket on. And, and uh, you know, so I was speaking and everything, and all of a sudden my beeper goes off. You know, my boss is calling me. I'm trying to shut the thing off, and I'm, I'm speaking <laughs> I'm live on camera. I mean, I said, oh, boy, you know, here I am. I'm going to get fired over this thing, you know. But uh, it was a benefit for an old gym called Pafano's Gym in Jersey City. They had a fire there, and they wanted to build it back up. You know, Pavano's mm-hmm. Gym is where uh, Buddy McGirt trained for many, many years. Oh, I remember. A lot of, yeah. Yeah, a lot of other people. I mean, uh, Pavano's Gym, uh, they had a bunch of brothers that ran it, and uh, Dominic Pavano was the only one left. And, uh, he, he uh, you know, they had this fire and. Uh, I believe the gym uh, was on Beacon Street in uh, Jersey City, but uh, you know I, I always remember that. <laughs> I remember uh, I went to one of your, uh, uh, I guess it was dinners, and uh, Chuck Webner was there, and he yeah. told a joke, and the joke was that he told his wife during the oh, yeah, yeah. Hercules. Yeah, yeah. Can you, well, can he, you finish that one up? Yeah, he. Um, he told his wife, I'm going to buy you this nice blue negachee. And he says, when I come back you know, after the fight, you're going to make love to the heavyweight champion of the world. <laughs> so after the fight, you know, things didn't go too well. But uh, he came back to the hotel, and there's his wife sitting on the edge of the bed. And he says, well, Chuck, is Ali coming over here, or do I have to go over there? <laughs> you know, so he, 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 yeah, he... He's a he's a corker boy. I tell you. Even even the fight with Randy Newman, they had three fights, and uh, the last one ended on a cut. So uh, you know the fight was going on, blah blah, blah and all of a sudden blood is all over the place, you know. And uh, and the referee looks at Chuck. He says, oh, "We're gonna have to stop the fight." And Chuck says, "No, no, don't stop the fight." He says, "You know, it, it's not it's nothing. I get cut worse than you know shaving." And, and he goes, "No, no, it's it's it, it, you know, you don't understand. He says, no, no, no. He says, please, let it go on, let it go on. So the referee says, Chuck, it's not you that's cut, it's Randy. So he looks over, and uh, Chuck says, oh, that's an awful cut. I said, I would stop it if I was you. <laughs> you know, so so the referee goes over there, eh, that's it. You know, he stopped the fight. <laughs> and Chuck won. But his stoppage should be because of the cut. Wetner was like an intelligent kind of guy. I remember well, he was uh, he got out of boxing and he wound up with one of the uh, you know other uh, one of those boxing uh, what do you call it? alphabets. Uh, he wanted like a retirement system for boxing. Did ever go anywhere? Well, no. You know, everybody's after some kind of pension fund or something like this. I mean, I've I've heard many many people you know uh, you know try approach me and approach other people trying to get a pension. I know. Randy Newman, the guy I was just talking about, he had something going on with the IBF, and uh, that was going along pretty good. But you know, that's that's no longer.
longer, but um, you know, it, even now, uh, Tim Witherspoon, uh, two-time heavyweight champion in the world, and a few other people are trying to push, trying to get a pension fund for uh, for fighters. But I always tell them, let's say, you know, from the beginning, <clears throat> you should put like 10% of your money away. You know, I mean, I don't care if you make $100 or $100,000 or a million dollars, just take 10%, you know, and put it in some kind of fund or something like this and, uh, you know, IRS or, or uh, you know, some kind of, um, you know, you know, saving uh, fund and then don't touch it until after you retire. Then you'll have a nice nest, nest egg. You know, I see so many of these people. I mean, you know, Emil Griffith, he was a, you know, oh, multi-time yeah. world champion. He fought more main events at Madison Square Garden, fought more uh, championship rounds than any other boxer in history. He died broke. You know, when I gave the, the eulogy for him, you know, he, he could hardly, you know, they, they could hardly afford the the funeral. Same with Rocky Lockridge. I mean, we had to raise money for his funeral just uh, several months ago. You know, the funeral home called me up and said, you know, you know, they need ten thousand six hundred dollars to uh, to bury this guy. Now this guy, he was a, you know, twice world champion, and uh, you know, he died. Penniless. I mean, you know, he was out in the streets, you know, you know, almost like homeless. I mean, uh, oh my uh, gosh. yeah, th- th- these guys, <laughs> you know, if, if they if they would just get a, like a financial advisor, like one of the guys we inducted this year, he, he was one of them guys, uh, uh, Mike uh, Pareo. He's, he's an agent and everything like this. Every one of them should get a guy like that because they can make millions. Mm-hmm. And then, then all of a sudden, you know, bang, they, they don't have nothing. Riddick Bow, you know, his, you know, if you you Google his name, I don't know if, if you put down auctions or anything. A guy got a hold of me about a championship belt that he got. He, he showed me the championship belt, and I said, well, that's from the New York State Boxing Hall of Fame. I said, what is it all about? He says, well, Riddick Bow, he went bankrupt, and he's selling oh all his God. stuff. You know, and this I'm saying, is in my oh, lifetime. Yeah. yeah, and I'm saying, Jesus. And then just uh, about, a, I don't know, I want to say maybe a month ago, I got a call from a guy. He wanted, uh, actually it was a little bit more than a month ago, because he wanted Riddick Bowie to come to uh, the New Jersey Boxing Hall of Fame induction ceremonies on, um, on November 14th. But he, he wanted, you know, this outrageous amount of money to, to have a, some kind of autograph signing. And I, I said, no, we, you know, we're just not into that stuff. And then he says, well, he says, do you know any promoters or anything? And he says, can you back uh, Riddick Bow up? Because Riddick Bow wants to get back into boxing. So I says, what, was the trainer and everything? He said, I said, no. He says, as a fighter. I said, a fighter? How old is he? 45, 50? <laughs> He's in his 50s. 60. You know, and I'm saying, you know, I, I said, a fighter. I said, how can you... How can you, you know, do that? He says, oh, no, you should see him. He's, he's in good shape and everything like this. I, I, I say, you know, he retired many years ago, and he wasn't that good. You know, he he was on his oh, way out. Yeah. I, I says, come on. He says, well, can you help me out? I said, well, I said, I don't want to be rude, but I hope you don't succeed. He says, well, I'm going to gonna get a few fights for him, and then uh, oh, after a while we're going to go for the big one. I said, what big one? You know, <laughs> there is no big ones after this. Uh, you know, uh, you know, really, well, yeah, yeah, he's 50, he's fifty one, I believe. You know, and I'm saying, geez, you know, he, you know, he hasn't fought 
you know, in, in over 10 years. And, uh, you know, he wasn't that good at that time. You know, he was on his way down, you know. And, uh, yeah, I, I just I just don't know. I mean, uh, I mean, he fought, uh, you know, his his fight against Andrew Galata was in 1996. Then he had one in 2004. Then he had another one in 2005 and one, another one in 2008. I mean, but, you know, I mean... <laughs> This guy wants to, and then I got a call from a promoter. They wanted to know if I knew this guy, and I said, yeah. I said, what's this about? And he told me, he says, well, Riddick Bo is training in Florida. They want me to go down there and take a look at him. And I says, uh, stay away. I said, they, they want your money, I, I said, to, to support Riddick Bo on his comeback trail. I says, but he's, you know, if, God, God forbid he won a few fights you know, against some tomato cans, and he put him against some some banger, some heavyweight banger. I mean, the guy's going to get killed. You know, his reflexes That's are right. gone. I mean, uh, you know, these people, they don't know when to quit. And, you know, now Riddick Bo, you know, like I said, he, he went bankrupt. And, uh, you know, he, he don't have enough money to, uh, to survive. I mean, you know, to make a, you know, even put food on the table. I mean, he, well, I he think was you're right about it. Yeah, he was a world champion. Well, you know, age limit. You know, it depends on how how good a shape you are. Like Bernard Hopkins, he was 50 and he was still still very good. You know, <clears throat> but uh, I mean, we just lost a fighter uh, yesterday, uh, Saul Mambi. He was 62 when he fought. You know, but uh, that he, that's that's a rarity. You know, if you're out of boxing and everything like this and you know, I mean, you you can't you can't you know uh, like Riddick Bow. You know, I mean, hey, he he was a great fighter. He was a you know, heavyweight champion in the world and beat Vander Holyfield. I mean, he he was one of the top guys around. But that, that was back then. I mean, you know, yeah, you know he fought like Holyfield yeah, 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 twenty yeah. years ago. Yeah, it was it was nineteen ninety five. It was over twenty years ago. Oh my you God, know, even longer. Twenty twenty five years ago. Uh, he, he, you know, it was his last fight with uh, with uh, Holyfield. And I'm saying, Jesus, what the heck? Okay. So I told him, I said, Well, nothing for nothing, but I hope you fail. I said, I don't want no part of it. <laughs> you know, I said, you know, this is what happens. I mean, Bo Jack, uh, he, um, you know, he was a lightweight champion of the world, and uh, I remember Customato. Who was uh, Tyson's trainer? He, he went down to uh, I think it was Las Vegas or something like this, and he saw Bo Jack shining shoes, and and um, he he said, you know, he said, what are you doing? He said, I'm shining shoes. He says, uh, I want you to sit down. He says, what do you mean? Yeah, he asked Bo Jack to sit down in the chair, you know, where where the people get their shoes shined. He says, he says, you don't have to shine mine. I'm going to shine yours. You know, and he nice shines dress. Bo Jack's yeah. shoes. He says, my yeah. God, you know. That's what I, happens. I Even like Joe Fraser. I mean, he lived in the back of a gym for a while. I mean, you know, I mean, it's, you know. He even had hard been, times. Yeah. I mean, I mean he had hard times. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, these guys, you know, there's very few. You know, the thing is that, you know, they get, they raise up so fast. They get all these millions of dollars. And they're sitting high. They don't think they're, you know, they think they're invincible. They think maybe, well, you know, you know, if somebody says, well, you better start saving. Well, maybe after the next fight, I want to buy a couple more Cadillacs. 
I want to buy a home for my sister, my brother, my mother, my you know, my kids, you know, I want to do this, I want to do that. Yeah, one one punch in the next fight, you know, it's over. The income yeah. stops coming in. You know, you know, you don't have no income. And then, then I, what I are you remember do? Emil, Emil Griffith, you, who you brought up before, fighting uh, Benny Kid Perret. Oh, geez. I mean, I was a little kid, and I saw that fight. I think it was on ABC. And, yeah, um, it was Rudy Goldstein was a referee. Was, and he, and he, I met him to, to, to your your uh, uh, your dinners and whatnot. Yeah. And I met him. I think he lived, I don't know if he lived in Weehawken or something. Yeah, uh, at that time he did. <laughs> Two Guys store on, on oh, God. The big yeah. road that goes from, well, it goes from North Bergen to Jersey yep. City. Yep, yep. Um, he uh, lived up there for a while. Kennedy, Kennedy Boulevard. Yeah. But uh, he looked good then, but when I met him, uh, at, you know, at one of your dinners, he looked, he was wearing like a white undershirt. And yeah. I, I remember that he, he well, had thing, black yeah, talent. Yeah, the thing was that uh, years ago, you know, after he, uh, he uh, you know, retired from boxing and everything, I guess, coming out of uh, one of these bars that, uh, you know, I could say it now, you know, one of these gay bars, you know, he was attacked. He was attacked by a oh bunch, of, bunch of guys, and they hit him with baseball bats and, uh, you know, over the head and everything, I guess, and he's laying in the gutter. And uh, he was in the hospital for more more than a month. I mean, they, you know, they you know they didn't even know who he was when they picked him up. I mean, he was, he was actually oh, kind of out of it. And, uh, you know, he never really recovered from that. You know, I mean, I mean, he... He had, uh, you know, I think 122 fights uh, in his career. That's, uh, that's, that's pro fights. Yeah, that's pro fights. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I think hit, getting hit with a head and with a pipe and everything like this uh, didn't help the situation. Uh, no, you know, I think that I, uh, I can't remember know. who, but we had a guy who was a, a middleweight champion or something in Trenton. And he was uh, his, uh, what do you call it? His manager and his wife ran off with his money. Um, I, I, I forgot his name. Uh, he was there for years. Uh, but that's what he was doing. He was cleaning bathrooms. And I never got yeah. over that. Yeah. Um, well, Trenton had some good fighters. Uh, the the best fighter that came from Trenton was Ike Williams. And then he was a lightweight champion. That might have been him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was a lightweight champion of the world. Uh, you know, uh, then I guess the next ones are Young Terry and uh, Paulie Walker, and you had Sammy Goss. I mean, they were all, you know, terrific fighters from uh, from the Trenton area. Uh, you know, actually Trenton, New Jersey. You so, you just uh, had your not uh, you know uh, your next class that you put into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, um, yeah, we we put I'm in. Ready. Uh, Go ahead. Uh, no, we put in uh, 14 new members into the Hall of Fame, and uh, so we we did a good job. We added like 500 people there again, you know. And, I saw uh, that. You know, yeah, we 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 uh, we keep it going. You know, you you got to give a good product, you know, and people will come back. You know, a lot of the same people come back, and uh, you know the honorees usually bring, uh, you know, several people. And uh, so a couple of years ago we had 650 and. Uh, you know, that's wow. when Chuck Webner was being honored, too, and uh, a couple other people from Bayonne, so half of Bayonne came, you know. And, you know, this year, you know, we had uh, the biggest name, I guess, uh, that was uh, being inducted was uh, uh, 
Jameel McCline. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he was, he was probably the biggest biggest name before for the heavyweight titles. I think three or four times, and you know, you know, uh, so he was he was there, and uh, Larry Hazard Jr. and you know, oh, uh, God. is he? What did he take over? Did he take over the commissioner's job in New Jersey? Well, his Larry father. Hazard? Yeah, yeah. Um, we're talking. I'm talking about the judge, Larry Hazard Jr. was uh, was inducted. Oh. The the father. He's back as a commissioner. He he uh, he he was taken out of there um, oh several years ago, and then. Um, I guess they got a new uh, new governor and everything. I guess and Christie uh, put him back in, you know, after a while because uh, and mm-hmm. he, you know he's still there and he's a he's a big supporter of um, what we do, you know, with the Hall of Fame and everything. He's on my uh, voting committee and uh, you know he he comes to every um, every induction ceremonies. I've been president for 34 years and I think he's come to at least. Thirty, maybe thirty-one of them, maybe even thirty-two. I mean, he hasn't missed hardly any. You know, so uh, you, you, I was looking at uh, some information. Now, New York State is going to have a boxing hall of fame. Oh yeah, well, uh, that, was, that was funny because uh, uh, years ago, you know, I, I joined Ring Eight, you know, and um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I, I told this guy uh, Tony Mazzarella, who's actually going in this year. I says, why don't you have a New York, you know, State Boxing Hall of Fame? He said, oh, we got to have a building first. Got to have a building. And I kept on saying, I said, you know, I says, look around. I said, all these guys. You had Emil Griffith. You had, you know, uh, Joe Maselli. Uh, you know, all the all these uh, guys who were coming to the meetings that were really outstanding fighters. I said, look around, Tony. I says, time you get a building, all these guys are going to be dead. I, I said, you know, you can't, you can't, you know, you do that. He said, no, no, I want a building first. I want a building. So this went on for a couple of years. Then I was at the Teddy Atlas uh, affair, maybe, I want to say maybe about 10 years ago, and Bob Duffy was there, who's a good friend of uh, of uh, Tony Mazzarella. And, uh, you know, he, he later became um, uh, Ring A president. He was one of the commissioners in New York. And uh, so, so I told him, I said, you know, you should have a New York State Boxing Hall of Fame. I said, why don't you have that? He said, oh, we've got to have a building. <laughs> so I started laughing. I said, what are you, you and Tony think alike? I, I said, I'll tell you what I told Tony. I said, see these guys over there? Like this guy, this guy, this guy. They're going to be dead time you get a building. He turns around, <laughs> he looks at me, and he says, you're right. He says, you know something? He said, I think that might be a good idea. He said, let me talk to Tony. I said, well, I already talked to him. He said, he don't want to do it. He says, well, you know, me and him are like brothers. Let me see what I can do. And it was Bob Duffy that got it, got it going, and he's he was uh, he's still the president to this day. So, uh, and I help him out. And in fact, I'm on the voting committee every year. And uh, you know, we have a, a big class this year. I mean, uh, we have 28 people going in, and and the only reason why is because we we couldn't narrow uh, some of these guys down. I mean, you know, taking, you know, it was like uh, having the names on a, on a board and throwing darts at it. And, uh, you know, whoever the dart hit, you know, would be a good candidate. I mean, you know, I mean, you have uh, just in the deceased, a non-boxers. I mean, you have Lester Baumberg. He, he was a writer. Dan Daniel, he was a writer. Uh, 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 A.J. Liebling, he was another writer. Then you have... Um, 
Bobby Gleason. Bobby Gleason had the the gym I know that in New York. <laughs> yeah, the gym owner. He had Flash Gordon. You know, I mean, of course, you know, everybody saw Flash Gordon, uh, you know, on the comic skirts. But but there was, a, there was a guy that used to go around like Madison Square Garden, and Sunnyside Garden, even even Ice World in Totowa with all these uh, like programs. And he, you know he was uh, he was like a record record keeper, one of the first ones ever. And he he was really one of these uh, these guys that you know you really can't do it out. He's going in. Then you have Tony Mazzarella, you know from from uh, from uh, Ring Eight. I mean he he was the one that actually saved Ring Eight and. Uh, he was actually the founder of, uh, of the New York State Hall of Fame, and of course the manager uh, uh, Dan Morgan. He was a manager early part of, uh, of the 20th century. Then uh, you have uh, the non-living. You have Don, or you have the the living non-doctors. You have uh, Don Ackerman, who's a longtime boxing judge. He's the president of the International Boxing Hall of Fame. You have Bobby Cassidy, who's a boxing writer. You have Rick Glazer, who's a matchmaker, promoter. I mean, uh, you know, he, he's, he's done just about everything in boxing, but uh, but, but box. And uh, then you have uh, Jack Hirsch, who was the former president of the Boxing Writers Association and Ring 8. You've got Max Kellerman, who everybody knows is a commentator. You have Dr. William Lathan, who's a ringside doctor. Julie Letterman, who's Harold Letterman's daughter, a big-time uh, time judge. Uh, Ron Lipton, he's a big-time uh, professional boxing re- referee. You have a trainer, uh, Kevin Rooney, who trained a guy by the name of Mike Tyson. Then you have uh, the, the fighters. You have uh, Jorge Amada, who fought, uh, he fought three times for the light heavyweight title. You know, uh, in in just over a year, and uh, you have um, Alfredo Escalera, who's a former super. I remember that. Yeah, and you have Freddie Libre. Uh, you know, he he was um, he was rated number six in the world at one time. Then you have Dennis Milton, who beat uh, Gerald McClendon and uh, Michael Lajaway. You have uh, Savarice, Lou Savarice, who uh, won his first thirty six fights in a row and. Uh, you know, uh, he lost a close decision that uh, that, uh, that stopped the streak against George Foreman. Then you have uh, Marquis uh, Sosa, who, who was another world contender back in the 1990s. Then you have the deceased uh, ones. You have Freddie Welch, who was a former lightweight champion of the world. You have have Davey Moore, who uh, who's an outstanding oh, I yeah Emmy for Roberto yeah. Duran. And, Gentlemen, uh, you know, I hate I hate to interrupt. <laughs> Uh, we're reaching the end of our time together. Uh, this has been a fascinating uh, show, and I'm sorry I had to interrupt it. Okay, let me just. Yeah, we got Tammy Mariella, Jimmy uh, Goodrich, uh, Steve Beloyce, and Soldier Bartfield that rounded off the field. <laughs> Why don't you give a give a plug while we're here? Uh, when is this going to happen? Uh, this is going to uh, be for- uh, uh, April 19th at Russo's on a Bay in New York. And uh, you know you can't you can't miss it. Just go on the Ring Eight website. I, I'm going to put something up in the next couple of days. Right now, I, I just put something up about uh, Saul Mombi uh, dying. But in the next couple of days, you just go on, just Google Ring Eight, and you, you know, I think it's uh, Ring Eight uh, NY, uh, something like that. And uh, you know, Hercules is going to get. Uh, I have to stop this. Hercules is going to get shut off in a few uh, seconds. <laughs> 
Well, I don't want to miss it. Was a pleasure. Oh, uh, yeah, you all mine. Uh, just like the original. <laughs> I put links to your to the uh, um, Hall of Fame, uh, the website, and the Facebook page uh, in with a description of today's uh, show. Um, so, okay. uh, very good. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. Okay, thank you so very much, and I can't wait to, for you to come back again. All right, anytime. Just uh, just tell me when. And thank you, Bill. It was a pleasure. I enjoyed this. <laughs> it was like sitting in a sitting at a table or something talking boxing. One oh yeah, well, that's what I like stories. about it. That's what I like about it. Well, if you guys want to do it more often, I'd be open to that. We could, uh, we could, we could. That's we something can, we could do something about. So why don't you two guys talk and uh, then talk to me and let's see what we could do. All right, Sounds no good. You know, like I said, as long as I'm. I'm I'm free. I, I go on another uh, show also uh, every awesome. other Saturday. You know, it's uh, it's called World Boxing Review with uh, Aaron Snowell. He was a former trainer of uh, Mike Tyson and Frankie Randall, and uh, you know uh, guys like that, and uh, Tim Witherspoon. You know, I go on his show every other week though. Awesome. Well, Happy holidays to both strange. of you. Yes, yes, same here, and uh, you know we'll, we'll keep in touch. Okay, and thanks to all who joined us tonight. Uh, Until next time, this is all of us wishing all of you joyous journeys and amazing adventures and happy holidays. Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Once a fact is 
There is no turning back to fairy tales or bloody dreams. If we dare not speak our minds, 